Good morning. It's good to see you all here this morning. If you'll leave your Bibles open to John chapter 17, we'll be there for most of the time this morning. Before I get started, I want to say thank you to Isaac for, for doing the reading this morning. Um, also want to especially thank Sean for the song selections. Um, he mentioned, uh, he asked me yesterday when I saw him uh, what I was preaching on, and I let him know, thinking that he'd pick a song right before the lesson, um, but he went above and beyond in the songs that he'd chosen. Uh, excellent selections for reflecting on the prayer that, uh, that, John, uh, that John tells us about in chapter 17, so thanks for picking those songs. And I do hope that as we sing the songs today, uh, that we will listen to the words, that we will sing them with meaning, uh, not just echoing them, with, but really understand the words to the songs. Also want to thank Stuart for the comments he made on the table this morning. Uh, it's a nice segue into chapter 17 to understand where Jesus was um, before this prayer. Um, and also want to thank Mitch for mentioning in his prayer um, about our goal of emulating Jesus. Uh, and I want to keep that in mind as we go through our lesson this morning. John chapter 17, where does it fall in the life of Christ? Um, as we've heard this morning, uh, it's a transition period. It's the time right before Jesus is going to go to the cross. Uh, the, the Garden of Gethsemane is around the same time. And we see the transition that Jesus is making from his ministry to his crucifixion, to his death. And he's trying to explain to the disciples what it means and what exactly will that mean, not only for him as an individual, but for them and for their lives. And it's important to note in this time what Jesus chooses to do. Before we get into John chapter 17, I'd like to put a little context into the prayer that we see in John chapter 17. The first thing when you look at it and you say, it's a prayer that Jesus prayed well, the first question I said was, how many times does Jesus pray in the New Testament? How many prayers do we have recorded that Jesus prayed in the New Testament? I don't know about you, but I thought the number would be much higher than it really was. We only have ten prayers that Jesus prayed in the New Testament. There are mentions in times when Jesus spoke with his father, but they're not quoted. Then we only have ten examples, ten quoted passages where Jesus prayed to his father. And we'll do a quick survey of those passages before we get into John chapter 17. But as we go through this quick survey, I hope you'll notice, um, think about the, the depth and the, the, uh, the amount of, of time that each gospel writer spends on recording what Jesus prayed to his father. Just a quick survey, if you have a pen and pencil, <clears throat> I encourage you to take some notes. Um, and if you uh, want the outline, I'd be glad to give it to you afterwards. But just going through these other nine examples briefly. Um, he praises God in Matthew chapter 11. Jesus says, uh, at that time, Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, that is what you were pleased to do. That's the entire prayer. Before he raises Lazarus, he comes and his, his friends are there mourning the loss and the death of their friend Lazarus. Uh, Martha and Mary said, if you had been here, you could have saved him. Jesus, knowing that he was going to save, Jesus, uh, save Lazarus and bring him back from the dead, he said in John 11, he said, so they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. That's the entire prayer. 
He glorifies God one chapter later in John chapter 12 and verse 28. He says, Father, glorify your name. That's the entire prayer. It's interesting to note in that chapter, chapter 12 and verse 28, God responds to that prayer, vocally responds, and he says, I have both glorified it and I will glorify it again. Remember that phrase, I have glorified it and I will glorify it again. We'll see that in just a few more chapters. Those are the first three times that we see Jesus' prayer quoted in the Gospels. Then we come to John chapter 17. And after John chapter 17, to which we'll return shortly, we have three prayers in the Garden of Gethsemane. Matthew chapter 26, where he says, My father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Yet not as I will, but you will. That's his prayer. In verse 42, just a few verses later, he says, My father, if this cannot pass away unless I drink it, your will be done. And the third time in verse 44, he says exactly the same things as he said in 42. He repeats his prayer the third time. These are three prayers that he prayed in Gethsemane to his father, explaining to his father that I don't want to do this, but I'm willing to do your will above my own. And finally, at the end of his life, as Jesus was coming to his last breath, he has three final times where he speaks to his father. Luke chapter 23 records in verse 34, Jesus says, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. A plea for those who are taking Jesus' life. In Matthew 27, verse 46, we read, About the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani which is a quotation from Psalm chapter 22. And that's translated, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And the final prayer, the final speaking to God, to God the Father, that we have of Jesus quoted in the New Testament is Luke chapter 23 and verse 46, where he finally says, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. The final words he spoke were to his Father. What is one thing that you notice about these about these prayers that Jesus has quoted in the New Testament. Well, the thing that struck me is that none of them are more than 10, maybe 15 words long. These are the simple quotations of a prayer, a heartfelt prayer that's going from father to a son, from a son to a father, where Jesus the son is saying to his father, glorify me. I understand that your will will be done. If it needs to be done, I am willing to do it. That or, those are the words that Jesus prayed to his father. But they're short. They're pithy statements. What's different about chapter 17? We look at John chapter 17. And if you're there, let's take a look at, at, at that chapter. Chapter 17 is, oh, I don't remember, 26 verses long. 26 verses. And they're dense verses with a lot of meaning and a lot of, a lot of tension, a lot of grief and sorrow that Jesus himself was feeling, knowing that he was going to go to the cross. And yet remembering where Jesus was in his life and knowing what was about to happen to him, what is his prayer for? Who is he praying for? Now going back to what Mitch mentioned in his prayer this morning, our goal in this life should be to emulate Christ, to follow Christ's example. So for the next few minutes, I'd like to look at one simple aspect, one facet of the prayer that we see in John chapter 17 that John prayed to his, that Jesus prayed to his father. Jesus prayed to his father so many different things. We could cover this for a whole quarter, John chapter 17. 
But what I'd like to look at is what are the results? What are the goals? What are the outcomes that Jesus was praying for in his prayer to his Father? What did Jesus want to happen when he was praying to his Father? Now, the easiest way to do that from a, from a language standpoint is to, I like to boil things down as simple as possible. And in language, you say, I will do A so that B happens, right? A happens, and then B is the result, right? So there are a few instances, 11 instances in this chapter where Jesus says, this happens so that this can result. So if we want to understand how Jesus was thinking in the moments before he was to be taken to be crucified, Let's look at what his focus was, what his results orientation was in that prayer. What was he praying for in that prayer? And in understanding what Jesus was asking for, I think that's a lesson for us in what we should be looking for in our prayers to our Father as well. So let's take a look at a couple of instances of what Jesus was asking for in his prayer in chapter, 20, in chapter 17 of John. As Stuart mentioned this morning at the table, the end of chapter 16, he says, Behold, the hour is coming, in verse 32, and has already come for you to be scattered, each to his own home, and to leave me alone, and yet I am not alone because the Father is with me. And so we see even in the very beginning of his prayer to his Father, what is his prayer that his Father would do for him? Interestingly enough, we look at this and we see he says to his father, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son. What a strange request. Everyone who looked upon Christ on the cross thought it was a failure. Thought it was the ultimate defeat for a man who had come to the end of his life and did not recognize really what, what was happening. But in fact, everybody who looked at the cross as a sign of failure didn't understand that this was exactly how Jesus was going to glorify his Father. It was the ultimate victory that we have benefited from in that glorification. And so in fact, as God, asks his, as God is asked by his Son to glorify him, what is the reason that Jesus asks for that? So that, and we see in verse 1, so that the Son may glorify you. In all that Jesus was doing, in all that he said, his point was to glorify his Father. His dying on the cross was a glorification of his Father, was a proof of the plan that God had for us in sacrificing his Son for our sins. And in fact, we see that even that point of glorification is not lost in the next verse. Even as the Son may glorify the Father... In verse 2, even as you, the Father, have given him, the Son, authority over all flesh, so that to all whom you have given him, he may give eternal life. That glorification that Jesus brought to his Father, it comes to us through the eternal life, through that sacrifice that Christ made. That is the eternal life, and that is the result of the authority that God has given to his Father. So we see that the eternal life that he has given to us is an outcome that Christ is looking for in his prayer to his Father. If we turn down a few more verses down to verse 12, we see in verse 11 where he's distinguishing the world and those who were with him. 
In verse 12, we see, while I was with them, I was keeping them in your name, which you have given to me. And I guarded them, and not, law, not one of them have perished, but the son of perdition. And the reason that none of them perished was so that scripture would be fulfilled. Christ knew that in his following his father's will, that he would be fulfilling the, the prophecies that had been made about him. And when he is lifted up, he will draw all men unto himself. In verse 13, the next verse, and he's, he draws a distinction. He says, but, and yet, now I come to you, the Father. And these things that I speak in the world, I speak them so that they may have my joy made full in themselves. The, the prayer that Christ is praying is not for him. Even when he says, glorify me, even when he asks for something from the Father, it's not for his own use, for his own benefit. The sacrifice he's about to make for us is for us, not for him. And we see in verse 13, the prayer that he is praying is that our joy may be full and may be full because of him and his sacrifice, what he has done for us. Let's go down a few more verses to verse 19. For their sakes I sanctify myself. If you just stop there and you think, wow, that's, that's a little strange. Why would somebody sanctify themselves? Keep reading. I sanctify myself so that they themselves may, be, may also be sanctified in truth. And I think, in fact, if we look at verse 17, we see the definition of truth is your word, is the word of the Father. And I think just a, a small sideline here. We see that Pilate comes to, to Christ. Pilate's questioning Christ. And Pilate gets all frustrated because Christ really doesn't give him the answers that Pilate's wanting. But Pilate can't find any reason, can't find any fault. And yet he, Pilate asks Jesus, he says, what is truth? Right? Jesus himself here answers that same question. And we have the benefit of seeing that. Jesus says that your word is truth. The word of God is truth. And we have that word today. How do we treat it? How do we respect it? Or how do we disrespect it? I'm not talking about the book. I'm not talking about the letters printed on the page. I'm talking about what's the effect of these words on your heart and on your life. Are you disrespecting the, the, the way that you live? Are you disrespecting your father by what you say and what you do? Even if you treat the book without, with kid gloves, even if you read it, but if your life is not reflecting it, are you glorifying your father? Jesus himself showed us what glorifying the father looks like. And that means putting aside our own life to do what he would have us to do. And yet we see that, in fact, even in verse 13, the joy that comes from that sacrifice, the ultimate joy, will be made full through him. He sanctifies himself in verse 19, as we see, but also in verse 21. In verses 20 and 21, we see the beginning of the emphasis of unity. And Jesus himself here has been separated from his father. On the cross, he says, why have you forsaken me? God turns his back on the sins that Jesus has, has taken upon himself. 
And Jesus says, why have you forsaken me? If you look at Psalm chapter 22, see how the psalm ends in victory, in ultimate victory. And that's the prophecy that Jesus is fulfilling here in the Gospels. But we see in, verse, in chapter uh, 17 and verse 21, we see, Even as you, Father, are in me and I in you, echoing the passage that Stuart read this morning in verse 32 of chapter 16, because the Father is with me. But even beyond that, the Father is not just with me, but he is in me, and I am in the Father, Jesus says. Even as that is the case, even as that is true, so that they may be in us. He is praying for the believers to be in him and in his Father. And the ultimate realization of that, the ultimate response, and the the ultimate outcome of that realization is the following, is the conclusion of that verse 21. So that the world may believe that you sent me, It's ultimately the belief that Jesus is calling for us to have through his sacrifice and through seeing the unity of his Father and the Son. In verse 22, we see that the glory that was given to the Son was given to him by the Father. And even that same glory that he has been given, he has given to them so that they may all be one just as we are in one. Jesus continues the the theme of unity with the believers and with the Father and with the Son. And ultimately, even in verse 23, he concludes, I in them and you in me, that they be perfected in unity. Perfected in unity. What a beautiful statement. What a beautiful sentiment and an idea that we can be perfected in unity. And that's not just unity in us. That's unity with God the Son, God the Father, and the Son, all together unified as one. What is the outcome of that unity? What is the result of that unity? What comes about? The ultimate result of that victory, that unity, is that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you have loved me. What a beautiful thought to know that God the Father has loved not only his son, but equally those believers who have followed him and done his will. In the next verse, in chapter 17 of verse 24, we see, Father, I desire that they also, speaking about the believers, whom you have given to me, be with me where I am. And the result of being with Jesus is that they may see my glory, which you have given to me. The glory you have given to me, for you loved me before the foundation of the world. And there is the ultimate sacrifice that Jesus is about to make. He reflects back on the glory that he had with his father in the beginning of time, before time began at the foundation of the world. Jesus is calling back to that that glory through the unity with his father. But ultimately, at the end of the chapter, we finish with, he says, I have made your name known, speaking to his father. I have made your name known to them and will make it known. And the result of that making it known is so that the love with which you loved me may be in them and I in them. It's amazing to think that the love that God the Father had for Christ the Son is the same love that he has for us as believers. It's not different. In fact, it's part of that unity that we have with the Son and with the Father is the love that is shared with us 
to have that love that he showed for his son is the same love that he shows for us today. But, but wait a second. Isn't he praying for the apostles? Isn't he praying for the people who were, who were there with him? Yes. But let's turn over back to verse 20. This whole prayer that he's prayed, he's prayed for those believers who were with him, for his apostles who were following with him and the others who have heard him and who were following him. But he makes it very, very clear who he is praying for in this prayer. He says, I do not ask on behalf of these alone, speaking of his followers at that time, but for those also who believe in me through their word. Now, the words that we're reading here are inspired from God. They're the words that we have from the believers who followed Christ. Paul and Peter, the other apostles who wrote the letters that we have, those are the words that we have to read today. And the belief that we have through these words means that, as Jesus says, he's speaking to us in this prayer. He's praying this prayer for us, for each one of us who are believers in him through these words that, the, that we have today. So as we go through this prayer, as we look at this prayer as an example of what Jesus' desire was, not for himself, not for his glorification in and of itself, but his glory in that he can glorify his Father. So the ultimate outcome that Jesus was having was for us, was for us as believers, for those of us who choose to, to put Christ on in baptism and to do the will of God above our own. We are the ones that Jesus is speaking to and encouraging today with these words, these challenges of unity and the outcomes of joy and love that we have to look forward to as part of that unity with the family of believers. So this, this prayer is a challenge, is an example for us today to look at what Jesus' attitude was when he went to his Father in prayer, his humility, but also his goal and his focus of asking the Father for ultimate glorification of the Father, not of himself. So my question and my challenge to each one of us is what will we do with this example? What will we choose to, to pray for when we go to the Father? What is the ultimate goal of our prayers to our Father? Do we pray for ourselves? Do we pray for outcomes that we have to look forward to? Do we pray for things that we want? Or do we pray that God's name would be glorified? Do we pray for the unity of believers and the unity of the family that we have, that our brothers and sisters who have put Christ on, do we pray for them? Do we pray for all of us as a family and pray that we together can glorify the name of God in all that we say and all that we do? As you go through your prayer life, as you decide to take some quiet time and pray to God, think about the example that Christ has left for us in this prayer in John chapter 17. Be encouraged by it. Be emboldened by it, knowing that Christ has sacrificed himself for you and for me. That he gave his life that we can have hope of eternal life through him. But that he was looking for the glorification of his father through his sacrifice. Not his own glorification, but that of his father. So as we remember that we are to emulate Christ, let's remember this example that Christ has given to us. Let's remember that as we go to our father in prayer. And help us to have that attitude that Christ had in when we approach the Father and ourselves.
So let's keep that in mind as we go through our life. We make an opportunity every time that if you have not put Christ on in baptism, if you realize the call that he has made, the sacrifice that he's made for you, but you have not yet been immersed and your sins have not yet been washed away, we have an opportunity, you have an opportunity right now to put him on in baptism, to wash away your sins and come up a new creature out of that water. Not the water that washes away the filth, but the blood of Christ that washes away our sins. That opportunity is here and is available to you. Not only for those of you who have not yet put on Christ, but if you've fallen away, if you've wandered away from the body, if you need to return to the unity of believers, if you need to make your needs known, this is the opportunity. Don't pass it up. I want you to let your needs known, be made known as together we stand and sing.